Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. So Indomitian Sue says he's not replacing Gerald McCoy, but he does plan to take his number 93. Meanwhile, McCoy could choose between the Browns, the Ravens, and the Panthers as early as today. Sue was introduced on Friday. He spoke about his reputation as one of the NFL's dirtiest players, what he will bring to the Bucs, his leadership style, and the biggest reason for signing with Tampa Bay. You'll hear that news conference here in just a few minutes. And the Rays, boy, they had a tough weekend. They lose three out of four to the red-hot Minnesota Twins, who are now tied with the Dodgers for the best record in baseball. And after getting blasted by the Rays on Thursday, boy, they proved why they're one of the best teams. Lots of key players from the Rays were missing in this series. Tampa Bay still 13 games over 500, but they had a losing record entering Sunday night against teams with winning records. How good are the Rays, and what did they learn in this twin series? We've got all that, the NBA, NHL Finals underway on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Bursnick. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, Steve, we got lots to talk about. As usual, it's a busy week ahead. The Rays are off today. Um, and uh, they also own uh, three of the top 40 picks in the Major League Baseball draft, which begins later later this evening, I guess. Yes, later in this podcast, we'll do our mock draft for the first three rounds. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm psyched for that. Um, <laughs> who you got? Uh, I got uh, I got the Oklahoma quarterback who's going number one overall, I believe. Um, we'll see. But uh, wouldn't that be something? Um, although he's already been drafted. So uh, let's we'll get back to the race here in just a second. I, w- I wanted to begin, um, as I mentioned, we know the Bucks have this three-day minicamp coming up on uh, Tuesday, and Indomitian Sioux is expected, actually, to be there and participate. Uh, well, as doesn't you know, he kind of have to be now that he signed? Well, it's mandatory now. Yeah, he does. He does. Not kind of. He does have to be. You're exactly mm-hmm. right. Uh, and so he, uh, he breezed into town on Friday. It was kind of a, kind of a quick turnaround. Of course, he had been – uh, in uh, Viva La France uh, over there uh, on a vacation that he had planned prior to signing with the Bucks or agreeing to terms or whatever you want to call it. And, of course, he while he was there, he had another commitment, which was to become engaged to his longtime girlfriend. And so that took place. He was also seeing a guy uh, that he knew that was involved in some, uh, some European basketball playoffs, went to the French Open, did that interview with uh, the Tennis Network. I mean, he was pretty much everywhere. But – he finally showed up at uh, One Buck Place last week, late last week. And, um, you know, I, I'll say this, and you'll hear the uh, news conference here. Uh, we'll play that uh, towards the end of the podcast. But first of all, I had, I had talked in Domicon Sioux going back, you know, back to 2010. I was impressed with him then. He's a very intelligent guy. I mean, the one thing that comes across is that, um, you know, this is, this is a guy who's uh, uh, extremely articulate, uh, you know, a different – a different tone for sure uh, than than what we're used to, say, with a Gerald McCoy. I mean, he's he's obviously a very kind of a serious cat. I mean, a little bit what you see on the field is a little bit what he is, uh, you know, in front of a microphone. He's sort of all business. 
if you will. Um, but but pleasant, you know, thoughtful. Um, not a guy that's too evasive. I mean, he didn't uh, didn't really duck any questions at all. Um, was short with some answers, obviously, but you know, um, wasn't uh, really wasn't combative in any sense. Just sort of matter of fact. And and there were there were a few things that uh, that, that kind of stood out to me um, during during this news conference. What I thought was was really really good. I mean, I thought the questions were good. I thought his responses were excellent. And I thought he was very candid, as candid as you would expect for him to be. Um, but the one thing uh, that was interesting to me was, uh, you know, he's kind of asked, in essence, like what, you know, he was out there for a while. I mean, the, you know, the Rams decided not to uh, re-sign him. He was on a one-year deal with them. And so after they lost the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots, everybody knew that Sue would be a free agent. And he kind of indicated that there had been, you know, some teams interested and, the first thing he had to answer for himself was, did he want to play anymore? And, you know, that's a very honest sort of response and, and, and kind of revelation, if you will. I haven't heard that from Gerald McCoy. There was never any doubt that Gerald McCoy was going to play. Um, and I guess when you get to be 31 years old and you played, you know, going into your 11th season – um, these are sort of the things, you know, this would be his third team in three years. I, th- th- it makes sense that, that, you know, you would kind of ask yourself, I suppose, whether this is something you want to continue doing. I mean, look, he's not doing it for the money anymore because he's made, I think, in excess of $130, $140 million in his career. Um, so, but, but to hear him say that rather, rather so- soberingly was like, well, first I had to decide, did I want to play? And, and he, he even referenced that, you know, he heard an interview on Jim Rome. Thanks for the praise. By me, War Letterman, Arugula, with Tony Gonzalez, of all people. Tony Gonzalez was on there. And what Gonzalez said was like, look, you know, because Gonzalez re- had just retired. And he said, you know, physically I could still do it. There's no question. Um, you know, I, I know that my body has more football in it. But as soon as, as, soon as mentally – um, I was no longer willing to do it, that, that that would be the time to retire, that I would know it was time to retire when, not physically, but mentally, I just didn't want to do it. And Sue says, that's kind of the way I approach this. Like, you know, he goes, look, I, I could play for a number of years still. You know, I'm in great shape and my body is good and, and you know, I'm blessed and, you know, um, you know, there's not a question in his mind that he can continue doing this for a number of years still. Um, but he said he had to answer for himself, like Gonzalez did, whether or not he was sort of mentally into 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 playing. And I guess the answer is yes, fortunately for the Bucks. But interesting that he came to that crossroads where I have not heard that um, from Joe McCoy at all. Not not to say that that he doesn't sort of evaluate that that after every season, mm-hmm. but he never really stated it. You know what I'm saying? Well, there's so that, there's that one difference between the two, though. And yeah, this is part of it. Gerald McCoy's never been to the playoffs. That's true. You know, where Indomitian Sue was on a team that lost the Super Bowl last year. And I don't know what teams were interested in signing him this year. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to find many teams better than the Rams. No. So mentally, do you want to go through this again, knowing you're probably going to be on a lesser talented team, unless the Patriots are calling or the Chiefs or there's, you know, a handful of them up there you might put in the Rams, you know, caliber at this point. It's a great point. So... You know, it's it's kind of do I want to go through this with maybe a lesser chance to get to that holy grail, where Gerald McCoy and, and, is still trying to even get his first sniff at it. 
Yeah, he just, yeah, right. He's only been on two teams that had winning records, right? And one mm-hmm. of them was his rookie year when he didn't play much. So that's that's an excellent, excellent point. And I think that um, that that would certainly you know change your mindset if you've accomplished pretty much everything you want in the game. I mean, obviously he'd like to win a ring, but but knowing not knowing which teams contacted him, they may not have been uh, a New England or or obviously the Rams didn't resign him, so we assume that they didn't have a, an abiding interest and money plays a role too. I mean, let's not be naive that, you know, all these guys, while they make a ton of money and it's, they, they tell you it's not about the money that there, there is something to that. I mean, you're not going to play for $3 million if you're those guys, because you know what it takes you to prepare, you know what it takes you to go out there and, and get beat up and, 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 you know, go through all the off season stuff. And um, look, you know, you, you got to get some kind of market value or, there's just no reason in doing it. You're a professional athlete. So um, all of that probably probably played into it a little bit. And with Gerald, you know, he, he makes no bones about it. He's chasing a ring. But for Sue to go from the, the you know, the, the NFC champion Rams, um, no offense, Bucks, but you have not been to the postseason in 11 years. So what you're asking Sue to do is help you change the culture, right? Mm-hmm. So he's one of these change the culture guys. He's not even guaranteed next season, okay? It's a one-year deal. So he may help change the culture and then not even be back to see what the, you know, reap the benefits of that. All he knows is is that he's willing to do this uh, in the hopes, not the belief, but the hopes that, you know, that, that him and, and Bruce Arians and, and Jameis Winston with Bruce Arians and this coaching staff and Todd Bowles and all those guys – can turn this around and turn it around quickly, like as in this year. Um, otherwise, you know, is, is he just playing for the money? Does this make him just a mercenary? Or does he believe they have a chance to win? Regardless, you know, he will tell you that, um, you know, he thinks he can help in, in so many areas. And, and mostly as an example, I mean, we've talked about this before, whereas, you know, Sue is not that guy that's going to spend an awful lot of time with rookies in their ear, um, you know, he's not going to work with them after practice. He's not going to be a big uh, flowery quote and a big rah-rah guy. He's going to go about his business, and he sort of, you know, is a lead-by-example dude. I mean, he just that's just who he is, and he's comfortable doing it, and he's done it everywhere he's been since he was a rookie with Detroit. So, you know, there's not – you know, it's going to be about his play and, 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 and all of that. Um, but for him to come and, and play for a team like Tampa Bay – um, you know, coming off back-to-back five and eleven seasons, um, only two winning records in the last you know uh, nine years. I mean, uh, all those things is is a, quite a step down from where he was with the Rams. And of course, he played for Miami before that. The Dolphins weren't very good. He's used to the Florida Heat. He says he embraces it. I mean, there's any number of reasons, including the nine point two five million dollars he's going to get paid and make as much as ten million. Um, but I think the, the you can when you listen to Indomitian Sue. And and you sort of you you know you you hear him talk about you know my approach is to reset the line of scrimmage. It's what I've done since Nebraska. I'm very versatile. I can play nose tackle. I can play three technique. I can play five technique. The fit for this defense for Indomitian Sue is a much better fit than it was for Joe McCoy. Joe McCoy could have played in this defense because you basically are are playing a three technique or a, you know an under tackle type situation, especially when they go to nickel. Um, but you have more versatility. You have more options if you're Todd Bowles with a guy like Indomitian Sue. And you put him next to another big-body guy like Vita Vea uh, and have him sort of rub off on Vita a little bit, 
because um, Vita's temperament, at least off the field, is more like McCoy's. So there's any number of reasons why this makes sense for the Bucks. I was trying to figure out why does this make sense for Sue? You know, why why is Indomitian Sue at this stage of his career still interested in playing? And and I think you know the answer is because I want to. You know, I, I think he made it clear that he thinks he has more football left and something to offer this particular team, and that he kind of goes into it like a lot of guys do, which is, hey, you know, we can be as good as we want to be. I mean, it's sort of up to, you know, buying into the head coach, buying into their system. The other thing he said that struck me was that the biggest reason he came here is because of Todd Bowles. And what's significant about that is just just two years ago when he was looking for a new home, Bowles was a head coach of the Jets, and he spent time um, visiting them and considering signing with the New York Jets. And he was impressed by Bowles and what Bowles would have done uh, you know, with him in his defense. And that it's that relationship, probably more so than Arians even, um, that intrigued Indomitian Sue at this point of his career – uh, to go and, and play in Tampa because Bowles, he had looked into that situation, looked into his defense and, and, and his coaching and had you know, met him enough to have sort of a good feel for the, for the former Jets head coach and said, you know what, that guy's there, I'm, I'm coming, that's, that's the reason. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, Todd's a you know, well-known defensive coordinator, well-respected, a former head coach too, which you mm-hmm. know, at the end of the day, look, players are looking for coaches that are going to make them better. And put them That's in positions exactly right. to succeed. That's what you look mm-hmm. for. And, you know, Todd Bowles has all those credentials. And, and the fact that they've met before and he considered signing with Bowles in New York previously, obviously that helps. I mean, look, Bruce Arians is bringing in a lot of guys that he knows, a lot of former oh, yeah. Arizona Cardinals. I mean, that's you tend to gravitate towards the people you know, the people you yep. like or trust. And so yep. the fact that Bowles and, and Dominican Sue have been down this path before or explored it, that definitely helps. And it helps in this sense, too, and, and, and I came away thinking about this, um, which is, you know, each new coaching staff comes in, and they're not loyal to anybody that was there previously. I mean, obviously, Bruce Arians was going to come because of Jameis Winston, right? He's made that clear that I'm, I'm not here if we don't have a quarterback, and I like that quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it wasn't any quarterback. It was Jameis Winston he believed in, and that's why he came in addition to getting all his, all, most or all of his assistant coaches back. Um, you know, but, you know, Bruce Arians is, is, is sort of one thing. What, what comes across is that this coaching staff evaluated all the guys that were on the team, and, and they evaluated Gerald McCoy too. And it's not that they said, you know what, McCoy can't play anymore. We don't want him. Because, you know, clearly they thought he had value or they wouldn't have hung on to him. They tried to trade him. They tried to – I assume that they at some point may have approached him about taking less money. I don't know that, though. I don't know that that conversation ever took place. And and my belief is this. Now, after hearing after hearing this press conference and that you will play for you here in a little bit, but my belief is this, that this coaching staff, starting with Bruce Arians and especially Todd Bowles, who knows the defense he's going to run, um, while he could have made Gerald McCoy work in this defense because he could make anybody work in this defense, he really knew for himself, because he had looked at it before, that Sue was was a preferred choice, that he was a better pick for his defense, and I believe that they liked his attitude. I, I just do. They're two different guys. They're two different personalities. One has been here nine seasons, didn't win. Is it all his fault? No. 
Um, do they want a certain type of guy um, to set to be the tone setter, and it's not Gerald McCoy? Yeah, I think they do. I think I think, I think the was, culture change is the biggest part of this. Is that, I do too. Absolutely, that it's nothing against Gerald McCoy's ability. Nothing against him yeah. as a player. The last nine years are not on him, but Mm-mm. we want somebody different. We need to change. Right. We we have to shock the culture essentially in the building, and so we're yeah. going to swap out McCoy for Sue, who are drastically different personalities. Yes, even though they're both very, very talented and, and will always be equated because they went number two and three in the same draft. Right, but they wanted a different attitude, and so a new coaching staff gets that clean slate. And and you know, if you don't do it the first year, it's harder to change a culture. The second or third year, if you're a new staff, that's yeah, that's exactly right. It's a great point, and and if you think about what they're doing, especially on defense, where they have the biggest rebuild, right? They went out and got three new defensive backs that they like, right? You had Vernon Hargraves back, and they drafted Carlton Davis last year and MJ Stewart. They're like, eh, they're nice players. Let's get these three defensive backs instead. And so it, there's no sacred cows. I mean, other, other than Winston, obviously, and Mike Evans, and you know, there are pieces that they really, really like, OJ Howard and Cam Brait. But it, you know, but at the end of the day, as Stephen A. would say, they they have their own ideas, and and you turnover is something that's constant in the NFL and all too constant here in Tampa Bay, um, and it really was just we we need a different voice because the guy that's going to be the the future of their defense and the future leader of their defense is 21 years old, you know. I mean, Devin White is going to be the guy that's going to be in the middle of this thing for years to come. They're going to build around him. And so, you know, why not bring in a guy that sort of has this attitude and orneriness and, and yes, he does, you know, get suspended at times, although it's been many, many years. But, you know, he kind of says that's behind him now. Um, but but he's going to play a certain way. And, and he is also not going to be a big vocal guy. Right, so you so you let you allow White's voice because Gerald's vocal. I mean, look, we run to Gerald McCoy, been running to Gerald McCoy for nine years. What's wrong with the defense? What are you going to do this week? What about Cam Newton? How do you get down this guy on the ground? Well, you know, that was going to still be a guy that everybody would run to. Well, now guess what? You you can try to talk to Soup. He's not going to have much to say. All right, he's going to lead by example. But Devin White, that's going to be your voice of this team. Levante Davis is a quiet guy. He doesn't say much at all to the media or anybody else. So that voice is guaranteed now, but you do have a veteran presence. And, you know, we'll see what happens with JPP, um, whether he makes it back. But even if he does, it's going to be, you know, sometime in October at the earliest. So who knows what the record is then. Um, This was all about preference. It was all about wanting a tone setter, wanting a different voice, uh, and a more versatile player in the defense. You know, a guy that he makes clear he can play any position on this defensive line and I think Bowles will utilize him that way and try to create matchups and, you know, get get Vita Vea in good position to make plays as well. So very interesting uh, introductory press conference, which you'll hear from I, – I, normally we wouldn't just play these whole things. I, I think this one was so good, both the responses uh, and, and the questions that um, if you haven't had a chance to really hear it in context, you probably read some comments. But um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to hear from Indomitian Sue and just – Remember how different it is from from what you've heard in the past. Not that it's better or worse, but but sort of the different attitude that he brings, uh, maybe than than what Gerald McCoy would bring uh, to the huddle, et cetera. So um, the other the other team in the area, of course, the Tampa Bay Rays. 
you know, it was so promising after Thursday. I mean, the Minnesota Twins came in here with the best record in baseball at the time. Uh, and, you know, you got Charlie Morton on the mound, who hasn't lost in like two years. Um, but uh, he pitched a gem. I mean, he was not behind hitters. He wasn't walking guys. He wasn't hitting guys. He came out, threw the ball very, very well. But the bats, I mean, you talk about waking up. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it, it just was – they haven't had – this was like batting practice after a while for them in that first game. I mean, they absolutely just shelled the Minnesota Twins pitching on Thursday night. I thought the Bucks' defense had been rebuilt and the Bucks were beating the Vikings 14-3. <laughs> to no. Right. This is when I'm supposed to look up and say, this is not Major League Baseball. Like I said when they were in Chicago, this is not pro football. Um, yeah, it, was it was like incredible. the ball was on a tee. It was. It was batting practice. I mean, mm -hmm. it was literally like everything was like ropes off the wall. I mean, it was – you saw more of the outfielders' numbers on their backs than you saw their fronts. It was just – it was incredible how, how well that they played um, and got off to such a hot start. And you're thinking, well, I wonder if the Twins can bounce back from this, you know. Like it was that kind of shellacking. But it just reminds you that, you know, in, in the majors, you know, some days you're going to have some of those days. You're going to get your block knocked off, but it doesn't mean – doesn't mean a whole lot, um, especially the way the twin. I'll tell you what, I was so impressed with Rocco Baldelli's team. And, and look, we've already got him penciled in for manager of the year, the way things are going, right? But that lineup, one through one through nine, since they have the DH, that they can hit the baseball now. Mm -hmm. Every one of those guys are a threat. I mean, they're really good. Yeah, this and that's with really Joe Mauer retiring from last year. Uh, exactly. I mean, this is a really good baseball team, and they do it. They do it with defense. They can, uh, they can, they can hit the. They lead the majors in home runs, uh, even though the home run wasn't a big weapon for them this weekend. All I knew is that they had they had guys on first and second with one out the entire series. You know, after after the Thursday night, that's all. Every time I looked up, it was a runner on first and second with one out. Um, so you know, a, a tough way to make a living, uh, and plus the Rays. I'll say this too, you know, after Tommy Pham went down with the uh, sort of a calf strain, I guess, that he had on Thursday night, trying or did score um, on, a, on a, you know, going from third to home, that, that knocked him out for the rest of the series. Um, Avisil Garcia didn't play much, uh, or if at all. Then you had, you know, what you had, uh, who's the third baseman, Yanni Diaz, came back just mm -hmm. for one game. Yeah, Nate Lowe so, was called up for a game. Yeah, Nate Lowe was up for game. So, I mean, they didn't have – you know, the Rays, if they're going to struggle, it's going to be at the plate. It's going to be uh, putting – we've talked about this before – putting hits together. Um, they, they sort of live or die with a home run. And they, they just didn't get the big hit. They had some chances early in games, um, but they weren't able to push anything across. And, and I think they're not so good as a lineup right now that without Pham, without those guys – I mean, Austin Meadows did his thing. Uh, and Brendan Lau had some good good moments, but mm -hmm. it it wasn't the same. It just you know that they were fractured. I think more than they more than they wanted to be. Yeah, I agree. But you know, here's the other question: Are you comfortable with Alvarado? No. Friday night again. I'm not. I know. I. I, I mean, that's what that's about four out of the last six outings, right? He's Something got like the that. stuff. Well, I, the I stuff think he's overthrowing incredible. it at times, but yes. You know, no, I'm not. I'm not sure I mean, what they can do to get him back on track to where he's dominating more often than he's not, and he's capable of it. And and I don't yeah. think they're I don't think they're going to bench him. And and I don't think they should. I mean, I think mentally they've got to keep putting him out there. But 
But I, you well, know, and here's I'm the not thing: sure, I'm not sure what he's got to do to get that confidence back. The problem is Diego Castillo is right there with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're both having a confidence of, of a crisis of confidence right now. You know, the command is not there for either guy, and they don't look like the same pitchers. They were so dominant in, in the first month of the season; nobody was going to stay that hot, right? But you got to have somebody to get the the last three outs. Well, the question and, and is, were they so dominant because, in, in looking back, we didn't know it at the time. But the teams they were facing that first month were pretty weren't bad. very good. That's true. You know, the Rockies weren't nearly as good as we thought they were. Their schedule, the first part of the season, the Astros are good, but that was the first you know four games, and, and they won three or four. But you know, the teams they played at the beginning of the season were not the best teams in baseball, and they were dominant. Right. Is it is it the increased competition, or is it just the lack of confidence? I'm well, not. I'm not sure what hand. it is, and maybe it's a part of of a lot of it. I mean, you know, the struggle started when they faced Boston. That was the first time mm-hmm. you saw Diego and Jose Alvarado have issues, and you know, we know Boston's lineup is very potent. Yeah, and I think obviously, if it, if you know, you're facing tougher batters, you're you're under more pressure, and and pressure does funny things to people, right? Mm-hmm. You try to be too fine with stuff, you know, instead of just letting your stuff play. All I know is this. And this is this is a question that I think is is fair to ask and and sort of examine, and and really think about, um, which is that the Rays entering Sunday night against teams with a winning record were nine and ten, and against the rest of baseball they were twenty six and twelve. Now you you know you play the teams that are on your schedule, so you don't apologize for the twenty six and twelve. And as you pointed out to me a minute ago before when we were doing this podcast, there's not a lot of teams in the American League that have a winning record. There's so three. That plays, There's three. Yeah, that, that plays into it, too. The Yankees, right? Twins, and Astros, who are leading each division. Sure. Now, having said that, the Rays are still 9 and 10. Well, actually, they're now 13 and 14 because Boston is uh, Boston won on Sunday night, so they're 30 and 29. So. Okay. But, yeah, it's, 13, it's still a game under 500. Yeah, they're a game under 500. So that says something about sort of where the Rays are against the better teams, I guess, um, and a lot of their – or a good portion, twenty six and twelve. It's a dominant record against against the others, right? Which is pretty much the whole American League. Actually, it's now you know, now to make it even better. It's twenty two and eight. Twenty two and eight. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. So I mean, I it's it's fair to ask: Are they in the Are they in the same league as the the Red Sox and the Yankees? And look, they've got to finish those series. They played nineteen times. We've talked about this before on this podcast. You know, you want to at least split or win mm-hmm. win those series if you can. And then if you beat up everybody else, you're going to be where you need to be. I mean, I believe entering the game on Sunday or coming out of the game on Sunday, I think they had like a six-game lead for the first wild card in the American League. So, you know, they've got a little bit of cushion between them and and the next wild card team. Yeah, they have a five-game um, lead right now. Okay. Over, so Over the Texas Rangers, who would be the second wild card. Yes, the Rangers would be – yeah, how about that? So, again – the start is good. Um, I I think they ran into a really you know really good team. And Kevin Cash said after the game, "Look, we were four and three on this homestand in June. If we go four and three on a homestand in June at almost any other time, we would say, yeah, it's good, pretty good homestand. You know what I mean? Like we'll take it. I'm not sure they're excited about what happened in this last series, yeah. but you know, Look, they did I, win. The, they did win the homestand. I believe that they are definitely in it and definitely. I, I, Look, they're going to compete for a playoff spot down to the end. Sure. I've said all along, I question whether the bats can put enough crooked numbers together. Mm-hmm. They've proven me wrong for the most part this season. 
but everyone from Kevin Cash to Stu Sternberg to everyone has said the bullpen is going to be what determines this team. And it, it's That's true against some of the better teams. It's hitting some rocky points, but I also believe they will add to this roster, particularly in the bullpen. Whether it's a Craig Kimbrell now that the draft is here and he's eligible to sign without losing draft picks, or somebody else in a trade, I believe they will make moves to bolster this bullpen. Whether it's a closer or more setup guys, whatever they're going to do, I believe you know that's the one area they're going to make moves in. Maybe they add a bat too or a starter, but I think knowing that going into the season, a lot of people said, "Look, it's going to be the bullpen's going to determine what happens with this team," and for the most part, that's been true. I mean, you could, there's a, there's several games you can count to that they could be even better, and they're they're you know they're winning at a six fourteen clip, which is very good in baseball. But they could be even better if Jose Alvarado and Diego Castillo, a couple of those performances were better. Yeah. You're not going to save all of them. I mean, every pitcher's got bad nights. Mariano Rivera only saved eighty nine percent of his wins or saves. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, more than one out of every ten he blew. You don't save them all, but. The bull, I believe they'll add in the bullpen. How they'll do it, what they'll do. I mean, two years ago, they added a lot in the bullpen. Remember, they became a lockdown bullpen at that point. Their offense dried up, and they didn't make the playoffs because they couldn't hit after the break. But I believe they'll add to the bullpen. Yeah, and if you don't get a veteran closer or somebody that's done that before, then you've got to keep running Alvarado and those guys out there because that's how they're going to get better. I mean, they they all they need the experience to, to become that, and – They've shown they can do it. It's just a matter of being consistent. And how do you, like you've always said, how do you know what you have if you don't give them the opportunity? You know, Mm -hmm. the stuff is there. You see what they're capable of. It's just, you know, can you get them to repeat it more often than not? And, you know, of late there's, there's been some bumps and they played against some pretty good ball clubs and and they've gotten roughed up a little bit and the control wasn't what it should be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they got to find out. They gotta, that's part of it, too. That's part of mm-hmm. pitching those high leverage innings. And I'm curious if Emilio Pagan will start getting some opportunities. I think he to, should. To save games. Yeah, I think he should. You know, I mean, I he's mean, given up one earned run all season. That was in his second appearance on mm-hmm. April 18th. Right. Um, he's been, you know, got a .44 ERA. He's been lights out in that bullpen. He's had a couple, you know, a couple games where he's given up some walks, but, but otherwise he's been lights out. I mean, 20 innings, yeah. 10 hits, five walks. It's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, but I, and, and it's a balancing act for Kevin Cash and, and the Rays that you want to win as many games as possible, but you're also trying to put your players in a position to be successful all season long. Mm-hmm. So, you- Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. You know, the, the balancing act is, okay, you can bench Alvarado, but does that ruin his season for you? You know, right. mentally, what can he handle and can't handle? And that every player is different. And that's a balancing act they have to perform of. You don't want to take Jose Alvarado out of those situations if you think it's going to affect him the rest of the season. Right. Because, you know, his stuff is legitimately good enough to be that, to be a dominant closer. Maybe he's not quite there 
confidence-wise or mentally, whatever you want to call it. And so how do we get him there? And that's what mm-hmm. the Rays have to – Kyle Snyder, Kevin Cash, et cetera, have to do. Yeah, and don't forget that, you know, they're trying to, to create matchups. Like we, we don't mm-hmm. know, for example, has, has Emilio Pagan's success been because they've used him mm-hmm. in the right situations, you know, against, against hitters that, that he's going to have success against. Yeah, I he's mean, not always facing the number four, five, and six hitters. Right, and they're not asking him to get the last three outs, which is a different mm-hmm. game altogether. We know that. So, um, you know, how he would do, uh, he, again, you don't know until you put those guys in that situation, but – I think so far they've they've you know helped him um, be in situations where you know he could succeed and he's done it. It's credit to him. But mm-hmm. um, I I still think they're going to add players. You know June first has uh, has come and gone now, um, and so they're in a position to do that. Of course the draft uh, begins today or tonight, and again we mentioned that uh, you know they got three of the top forty picks, which coming off a ninety win season. You would think that that's a, a a nice opportunity to to add to what is already considered a pretty good, uh, pretty good minor leagues. You know, the the last one I, I actually remember this draft because they had, they 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 brought me in to work it. <laughs> but remember back in two thousand eleven, they had yes. ten of the top sixty. Yeah, that, uh, there was a rule back then that if you signed a veteran, if you had a veteran on your team that left at the end of the year, that you got a compensatory draft pick. Yeah, and so they, they were signing all kinds of guys in August and even September to basically pay them minimum salary or close to, and but you knew you were getting a pick at the end of the year. So they ended up with like yeah, eleven of the first eighty or sixty or something. It was crazy. Ten of the first sixty. Ten of the first. Ten 60, of the yeah. first sixty. Yeah, and they essentially have Blake Snell to show for it. And to be fair, he won that, the that's, Young, a, that's so. a pretty good thing to show for. <laughs> yeah. But out of ten it's, picks, it's yeah. but out of ten. Remember, remember uh, such names as uh, and these guys all made it to the majors. They were the only ones that even make it there. Taylor Guerrero, remember him? Yep, right, Tyler Guerrero, yep. pitcher. Mm-hmm. Tyler Guerrero, uh, and then you had uh, Mikey Matuk, who played played outfield for the Rays a little bit. Um, I think he's still Tyler, with the Tigers. Last I saw, he last I think he was uh, Tyler Tyler uh, Goodell, I believe, um, was uh, the last guy I think to uh, to even, so those. Those were the ones that even made it there. To, to be fair, they they at least got to the big leagues, but um, there were others that uh, you know that weren't so good. And you know, last year they had five of the top seventy-one. So this isn't this isn't that that different. I mean, mm-hmm. last year they you know they had uh, Matt uh, Levator and then Shane McClanahan, and and they're doing well in Class A. Um, you know, but you know the draft again. I think it's harder probably for. You know, for for Major League Baseball than it is, say, for the NFL to kind of project um, where these guys will be because they're all starting out in the minor leagues. But um, yeah, they're three, the four, have, five years away from yeah. making the show. So, but the Rays have done a pretty good. I, I think I think without question they've done a much better job, particularly with the position players of yes. late. Yes, of drafting and developing. Okay, because there's two parts of this: the drafting and developing uh, prospects that are now starting to make it into the major leagues and then into AAA and we're seeing the you know the Durham shuttle and things going on now, not just with pitchers, which has been the thing in the past, but now also uh, lots of position players and and some guys that are potentially going to be stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I there's no question that this this scouting department as it as it exists right now is, is in my mind has done a much better job. Now they've had to lose some assets to acquire some mm-hmm. of these guys. Um, but that's part of it. But, you know, know. some kudos to Eric Neander, Hein Bloom, and, and Matt Silverman in the Rays. 
they didn't go into full Baltimore Oriole, Houston Astros, Chicago nope. Cubs. Let's just lose a hundred games to build our team up. They right. they were you know winning seventy seventy two, even getting up to eighty games for those three four seasons. But during that time, they completely rebuilt their minor league system. Mm-hmm. Completely changed it and went from one of the worst farm systems in baseball to one of the best. To one of the best, yeah. Which you know, and yes, that meant trading. That was part of you know from David Price to Chris Archer to you know you name the asset James Evan Shields, Longoria. Yeah, you know right. all those players they've traded in the last couple of years to to mm-hmm. to do that. But also, they got much better at drafting. They did. I mean, if you really look back at Andrew Friedman's time with the Rays, tremendous GM, tremendous job at finding minor or major league talent elsewhere mm-hmm. and making them better. And, you know, Jeff Keppingers and those type players where come here and have career years. They did not do a very good job drafting. No, they didn't. Their amateur scouting department was not very good. And no, that's changed now completely with this race, you know, the regime now. Their drafting is much better, which is making their farm system better. So when you make a trade and you're trading a big-name player to get assets back, you're just adding to a deep farm system instead of this is the only way we can build it because we've done a horrible job drafting. Right. That's well put. I mean, it's a much better – it's just a much better organization from top to bottom, and that's that's the lifeblood of it, especially – especially when you're a small market team that can't compete for free agents, you know, Mm -hmm. and you need to control these guys for four five, six years before they hit arbitration. So, um, you know, this is the the sort of the secret sauce that the race have to have and, and they're managing to do it. Um, and their minor leagues are, as you mentioned, rank, rank very, very high. So, We'll see what happens. Uh, the Rays will be off, as we mentioned, today. Then they head up and begin a, a series against the Detroit Tigers, who aren't very good, uh, but the Rays mm-hmm. need to uh, get back on track. And they got some help. They got some help from David Price, of all people. Price got off the hook early, and uh, he had a bases-loaded situation there, got out of that, and he, he uh, left the game. He was They were winning 6-2. to two. They were going on to win 8-5 over the Yankees, so that certainly helped the Rays. Um, keep pace a little bit with them with that loss that, uh, of course, that they had. Well, speaking of uh, David Price, Sunday. the Rays should face them next weekend. Big four-game right. series in Boston. You got a doubleheader on Saturday, which is a makeup from their last trip in there. Yep. So you know you've got the Tigers, who you, you know are on the road. You want to take two or three. Then you got that four-game series against Boston, and then you have the A's and the Angels coming into town. The A's, of course, competing for a wild card spot. The Angels too. They're both right in that second wild card spot hunt. So, you know, after the Tigers, you got three of the next four series, uh, teams all competing for playoffs at this point. And they're still in the middle of that 34 straight and 72 out of 73 or stretch or whatever yeah, well, it is. And then after that, you're at the Yankees, at the A's, at the Oof. Twins, versus the Rangers, oh, all playoff teams through the end of June. Yeah, it's going to get teams real that now. are within a game or two of the playoffs right now. So the rest of the month, outside the Tigers this week, every team you're playing is, you know, in the playoffs or in the playoff hunt at this point. Yeah, by the time they get to the All Star break, we'll have a much better feel about this ball club. But uh, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm impressed with the Twins. I don't think they're going away. I know they play in a weak division, but they got like a ten or twelve game lead, um, and they're playing well against other teams too. It's not just you know the White Sox mm-hmm. and the Royals and such. They're they're actually doing a good job against all teams, and you can see why. And and for a guy to, to be managing his first year, you could say, well, he, you know, he's he stepped into a good situation. Um, but really, obviously, there's got to be some imprint that Rocco Valdelli has made. And um, boy, it was Jake Odorisi, by the way, threw very, very well. 
mm-hmm. on Sunday. Um, of course, the Rays fans remember him. His velocity is up. They got this guy, the pitching coach from uh, from the college ranks. He was the uh, pitching coach for Arkansas, and I guess he's known for adding velocity to his pitchers, to his pitching staff. And all of a sudden, I look up and I see Odorisi throwing consistently 94, 95 mile an hour. And I'm like, I don't remember the guy throwing that hard. Yeah, he was you more know? in the 92, 93 range usually. Yeah, and he, he has added to his velo. They showed um, you know what it was last year, uh, and it was like somewhere around 91 point something. And you know this year, almost an average of 93 miles an hour. Or wow. almost 94, almost 94 miles an hour. Wow. So he is really, yeah, he has really learned mechanically. I guess this guy's very good about um, adding velocity to uh, to his staff, and and they have done so. So uh, it was impressive to watch to watch Jake. But uh, um, but yeah, so they they lose three out of four to the Twins, and they're off today. And then they uh, they head on up to uh, to Detroit and begin a series there against the Tigers. Real quick, Rick, before we uh, wrap up and, and you hear in Dominic mm-hmm. and Sue's press conference, I was at the Steve Dumig Celebration of Life ceremony on Sunday afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. A great turnout, great stories. Of course, you know, we, we did a podcast a couple weeks ago when Steve passed. Uh, his impact yeah. on not only listeners, but the whole community as a whole. And, you know, his wife and daughter were there and, and tons of friends and family and, you know, kind of a who's who of Tampa Bay sports was in the house and, uh, you know, just lots of lots of stories and lots of people raising a Belvedere to him, which mm-hmm. he would appreciate as he's, uh, you know, as he was known to enjoy uh, while he was golfing or just enjoying the night or gambling or whatever else you know he was doing. So uh, it was mm-hmm. a great time. Uh, it was a private ceremony just for family and friends, but uh, uh, very well. You know, you can tell just the impact he has on people. I mean, if you listen to DAE those those couple days after he passed you know, the impact he had on listeners, but the impact he had on his friends and family was tremendous too. So 17 hours they did, um, after his, uh, after his death and, and, um, boy, you struck by, uh, not just the number of people, but, but who those people mm-hmm. were that had relationships with Steve and, and, you know, goes beyond obviously, uh, what encounters they had with him, in, you know, through his job and, in, in, in radio. Um, but what I liked about it and I, I was not at this event, but what I liked about it was, um, as you described, it was, it was, you know, it was a celebration. It was what Steve would have wanted, mm-hmm. um, raise a glass to him, um, talk, tell stories, tell stories about him, uh, <laughs> in particular. Most, um, most of them I, we can't I, repeat on this podcast. <laughs> right. Um, I still, you know, I, I was not a, uh, I was not somebody who socialized with Steve, knew him professionally for years and years. Obviously I talked about this before he was instrumental in advocating cause you hired me. Uh, and Tom Jones, and he was very supportive about that idea mm-hmm. when when a lot of people were not. Um, and uh, you know, I always thanked him for that, and was uh, proud to be one of his colleagues for a while uh, at DAE. And um, you know, got to understand better what radio was and how it wasn't very easy to do. Um, and he was uh, he was so good at it. But um, but uh, ironically, and and not and and somewhat sadly, but. Um, the one encounter that I did have with him socially was at a Super Bowl. Uh, and uh, we were in Houston with John Mamola. I think John told this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we got, we got to ha- he got to having some Belvedere, and I was having some Jack Daniels. And I don't know what Mamola was having, John Mamola, but uh, he, was, he was not feeling any pain. But, um, <laughs> but, but you know, Steve, uh, it, it wasn't a contest or anything. <laughs> 
but we really did we really did hit it off that night and uh uh and and you know i hadn't had a chance to really just sit there and um he was wrapping up his week at the super bowl on friday and then uh, the next day he was going to return home and of course i had to stay uh, to cover the game on sunday um but it was it was it was a good evening it was a fun evening talking about a lot of things and and getting to know him a little more you know uh socially and and then unfortunately the next day is when um you know he uh, uh he didn't feel well and, and and was taken ill for the first time uh and then battled that for two years so um but i but it sound it was a it was obviously a great a great turnout and it sounds like uh, everybody told some really good stories and I'm sure that that's just exactly the way um, Steve would have wanted it. Uh, everybody raising a glass to him and um, and uh, and telling lies. <laughs> yeah, well, he would probably told a lot of people to stop crying, and you know. Yeah, of course. But beyond that, yes, it would. It was. It was exactly the way Steve would want it, and um, that's great. You know, that's a tremendous. lot of laughs as well as tears. That's tremendous. Well, that's uh, it's good to hear, and I and I hope uh, people will continue to keep uh, keep that family in mind because this is. You know, once all this is over and, and, you know, everybody kind of moves on, that's when it gets really tough. And so uh, those that are close to Steve's family, I'm sure will will keep them in their thoughts and their prayers because uh, it will it will not it does not get easier. Um, uh, it will in time. But uh, but these are these are tough times for sure. So our thoughts are with them. So as promised, I wanted you to have an opportunity, if you did not, in its proper context, to listen to the introduction of Indomitian Sue. This was uh, last Friday. Um, not too many days ago, and as I mentioned, he'll be back in town for the Bucks off-season uh, mandatory mini camp that's coming up on Tuesday. It'll be a three-day mini camp, not open to the public, but Sue will be there. And and really, um, again, I thought he was very candid, and you, you, I gained a lot of insight and in sort of the the tone that he struck struck is one that Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles are really going to embrace. Uh, so without further ado, here is the uh, introductory press conference with uh, new Bucks defensive tackle in Damakong Sue. I know it's been a busy week for you. I just want to ask you what this process was like for you and, and ultimately what the Bucks showed you that made this be the team for you. Processes and free agency? Yeah, just, just in, in deciding where you're going to be. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, understanding what my family wanted to do, uh, what I wanted to do and continue playing football was the first piece uh, in figuring that piece out and then analyzing the teams that were after me and uh, wanted to kind of sit down with my agent as well as figuring out what's the right place for me and uh, have an opportunity to play at a high level. So at the end of the day, what was the appeal about coming here and playing at Todd Bowles' defense? I think the biggest thing is you, you just hit it right there on the head, Todd Bowles. Uh, I've had a conversations with him over the last couple of years, especially when he's with the Jets last year. I uh, looked at going there. Uh, and made the decision that I did, uh, but wanted to team up with him and see uh, what him and Casey Rogers could uh, help me continue to grow. I think as professionals, we always want to find ways to continue to grow and meet great people. And I've met Todd probably like three or four years ago uh, via somebody I highly respect in this game, Jim Washburn. What struck you about Todd Bowles as a coach just compared to other coaches? Uh, his personality, the way he looks at things, uh, the way he wants to attack. Uh, I think Coach Arians also mentioned in a press conference the other day about being able to attack, be very aggressive, uh, play up the field. Uh, obviously, people have the responsibilities uh, and whatnot, but it's I like I've always enjoyed being an attack style defense. Was there really a lure here of playing the three tech in, in, in LA? Aaron Donald played that role in your OC, the nose or the six tech. Is that 
Is that more to your liking, getting those isolations? Uh, to me, as long as, long as really as long as I'm on the football field, I'm happy. Uh, and then from really from that standpoint, uh, if you want to look back at last year, I played every single position, uh, and I pride myself being able to play three technique, uh, nose, end. Uh, nine, seven, six, whatever you need me to do. Uh, and I think uh, it's important for me as a professional to continue to grow and evolve in that space. When you hear, uh, when you hear Bruce Arians say uh, he'd like to see all the defensive players uh, play like the way you do, with the <laughs> attitude that you bring, yeah. what do you think you uh, I think just uh, an aggressive uh, and very uh, intended force of Changing the line of scrimmage. Uh, that's something that I learned at a very early age when I was with Bo Pelini uh, at Nebraska. Uh, and I think he changed my game from allowing me to prove that I could play in this league uh, and then kind of going from there. So I think as a collective group, when you have four guys and really your front seven just attacking and being moving that line of scrimmage back into the offense's lap, uh, you're doing your job and you're b being a big force. You're going to be playing next to Vita Vea, the Bucks' number one pick from a year ago. What's your impression of him? Have you had a chance to, to watch him at all, or do you know about him? Uh, I've watched a little bit of film. Uh, I got a chance to get on Exos and check him out a little bit. Uh, definitely can move. I'm excited to team up with him. Uh, I got to meet him first uh, and obviously get to know him. Uh, but exciting opportunity. Obviously, being able to play with first rounders or really any talented defensive lineman, it's always an exciting piece. You didn't get to play with Alante in Nebraska. You guys just missed each other. Mm -hmm. How much interaction have you had with him in terms of meeting him over the years or, or since you came? Uh, yeah, we've known each other over the years. Uh, we obviously didn't play it, like you said, uh, with each other. But uh, obviously, the Nebraska connection is very tight uh, and look forward to obviously getting a chance to have him behind me. He's very, very talented, and he's proved that throughout the years. Duncan, you mentioned earlier about wanting to be aggressive, wanting defensive tackles to play like you play as far as aggressive is concerned. Mm -hmm. Nine years in the league, not to be a bad subject, but been fined over six, six actually over six, over six hundred thousand dollars. Curious to know how you will balance, how have you learned to balance your experience and still wanting to be that nasty, aggressive player? Uh, I think the proof is in the pudding. Uh, if you go back and look at the track record, it speaks for itself. That, that reputation, I mean, when people that don't haven't seen you play on a regular basis, you just know you as a casual fan. Mm -hmm. You're someone that shows up on these lists of NFL's dirtiest players. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is things that you probably earned fairly early in your career. How do you feel about changing people's minds about who you are as a player and what your reputation should be? I think when you look at people in general, uh, you got to get to know them. You got to get to have face time with them. You got to be able to have the opportunity to interact with them. And so before you pass judgment on somebody, I always take the time to get to know them, meet them, have coffee with them, whatever it may be, uh, and then be able to go from there. Uh, I think when people have seen uh, blips of me, as you mentioned, uh, it's been in uh, a negative light rather than a positive light. And that's due to outlets uh, of media, social media, whatever it may be. And uh, so I can deal with that because I know who I'm as a person. I know who my parents are, who they, how they, what kind of child they brought up. And it's irrelevant in my life. Uh, I think uh, the people that know me the best uh, see me always in a good light and see the troubles and, trial, troubles and tr uh, tribulations that I've gone through uh, as any human being goes through in their life. So uh, being on a list is good and bad, whatever you want to continue to look at it as. But uh, I've been very lucky and very blessed in this league to play at a high level, and I want to continue to do that. Anytime, anytime a new or anytime an established player comes to a new team, mm -hmm. you, you 
intend to change the culture? What do you hope to bring to this team to move it forward? I think the the most important thing to bring to this team is uh, being able to play in some elite defenses, break records, uh, as I did in Detroit, uh, play at a very high level in Miami as well as in in LA. Have gone to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, we didn't win, but uh, I've been pretty much through the gamut. So be able to bring that experience and be able to uh, bring some different views on things, but at the same time understand it all needs to be collective and we all have to have one vision, and that's winning. You're coming to a defense that's really young, with the really exception of Jason Pierre-Paul or may or not play this year in Levante. Um, are you looking forward to taking on more of a leadership I think I've always been a, a leader in my own particular right. Uh, and whether I was a rookie in Detroit or being a ninth-year guy in L.A., uh, I've always been a leader of action. Uh, and I think actions speak louder than words. And I've always been prided, on, prided myself on that. And so uh, however that kind of evolves in itself, I think Co Coach Aarons is going to be the, the person to lead that. And then we follow behind him as he's the head coach. Uh, and then obviously that, that trickles down to uh, Coach Boyles and then guys like myself. Um, so I'm happy to lead in any way as which is best for me uh, at the same time what's best for the team. Speaking of leadership, how do you plan to, what are your plans here in Tampa off the field in terms of getting involved in the community? I've always been a big person in the community, whether I was in Detroit, Miami, uh, even in L.A. for the short period of time. But I've spent a lot of time in L.A., so I know a lot of people there. Uh, I've always been a big person to be charitable and, and involved in certain things. I have backpack programs that I've done in the past. Uh, and then obviously just case-by-case -case situations that I can see, that I can help and uh, be of advantage to other people. So uh, I'm very open to it, uh, and I have to get my bearings first and foremost before I can uh, start to help. Playing in the extreme heat with the Dolphins, South Florida like you did for years. What did you learn from that as far as preparing yourself to, to play in this weather? It's a great advantage, to be honest with you. Uh, if we can get ourselves as a team uh, playing at a very high level uh, within the heat and being able to go across the country wherever we need to go, whether it's London or onto the West Coast, uh, it's a huge advantage for us. I, I've always enjoyed playing in the heat, uh, and I've played in Mississippi with my sister when she was in, in, uh, in college there and training in that heat. And I look forward to being down here in Tampa and training in that heat. I've, I've seen great success with it, and uh, it's always good on the body. Duncan, you're stepping into a role here where you're potentially replacing one of the most popular faces in franchise history in Gerald McCoy. Yeah. Um, what do you know about Gerald? What's your interaction with him? And how do you kind of shed the image that you're kind of taking his spot? I'm definitely not taking Gerald's spot. Uh, Gerald set a stone uh, at this franchise for, for many, many years. Very successful, uh, played at a very high level. Uh, I've got a great relationship with him. Uh, we had, the last time we actually spoke was at the Super Bowl, uh, him wishing me best luck. Uh, and so our relationship is good as far as I know. And, and the last time we spoke, and I wish him all the best in his, in, his endeavors. Uh, I'm not here to replace him. I'm here to kind of make my own path uh, alongside this team uh, and be uh, a shining emblem of some sort uh, to help get to a winning successful situation. Did you talk to him at all about playing here? Did I talk to him? Uh, in years past, I have. Uh, this year, no. And, uh, last year, you had no personal fouls. The year before, you had very few. Is, do you think that, going back to the reputation thing, do you think that sort of reflects a change in play or just better luck with the officials? Or? Uh, I think statistics speak for themselves. Uh, they're pretty consistent, uh, if I may say. May say. Uh, and when the time is needed in, in big games, uh, that's when I like to show up. And I think I've pr pretty much proven that throughout my years. Congratulations on your uh, engagement. Thank you. You're over in France. What was that process like? Did you kind of know that this deal was coming together while you were there? Did you get a chance to toast with your future wife once it was official? 
Uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, I had a previous plan already trip uh, over to France. Uh, many things to do. See my best friend who plays basketball over there uh, during his playoff days, and then obviously get to Bordeaux. Uh, nobody knew that I was going to propose, so it was a good surprise. Uh, she was elated, uh, which is most important. I'm glad she didn't say no. Uh, <laughs> Um, but other than that, it was just a great trip. I'm glad I got to go over there and enjoy that. And at the same time, it was a big week to be able to become a buck uh, and very exciting uh, to the future of, of our household and, and family in general. Did that kind of add to the stress, <laughs> putting on top of engagement and everything you were planning? Uh, there was no stress. Uh, I mean, I've grown up in, in a very fortunate life, but uh, my, both my parents come from third world countries. Uh, my stress is nowhere near compared to what they've gone through. You're 32 years old. You haven't missed a game due to injury at all. Mm -hmm. How much longer do you think you can play or want to play in the NFL? Uh, I will go back to a Jim Rome interview with uh, Tony Gonzalez. And uh, I will never forget these words Tony Gonzalez said is that mentally uh, all is what's going to mentally and physically are the two things that are going to allow me to play, continue to play this game at a high level. But mentally is where I'm going to find myself wanting to retire. Uh, and so for me, physically, I think I can play as long as I want to. Uh, and I think the team that I have uh, that works with me day in, day in and day out uh, affords me that as well as the hard work that I put in in the offseason. Uh, so it's from a mental aspect and, and really having aspirations that I have outside of, of sports. Uh, and that's really in the business world. I've been fortunate to have some amazing uh, mentors. And so it's when I decide I'm really looking for an opportunity to, to kind of move in a different direction and have a, a, my main focus in life being business uh, and entrepreneurship and whatnot. Buccaneers offensive lineman that you can share watching him on film through the years or playing against him? Uh, I'd probably say Carl Nix. Uh, he's another Nebraska guy. Uh, we had many battles at school and then obviously had some times here in, uh, with the Bucks. Uh, in general, uh, I think we've, I've only played against the Bucks maybe once or twice or maybe three times over my uh, career. So not a lot uh, in general, but nothing that really kind of sticks out of my mind. I know I've had some challenges uh, of getting to the quarterback, but uh, I've also had some wins of getting to the quarterback and plan on being on the ladder. What jersey number do you anticipate wearing here? Uh, hopefully 93. Uh, it's been what I've been wearing uh, in the last few years, uh, really since I left Detroit in uh, my days in 90. And uh, I don't look forward to taking JPP's spot, so uh, that's how I look at it. In your mind, how much does coaching matter at the pro level? Can a really sharp coaching staff, a new one, change the culture? Uh, I think coaching staff is very important uh, and being able to buy into what they're speaking uh, and really just laying out on the table for us as, as players and, uh, and professionals to soak up. Uh, so I think it's an intricate piece, but also at the same time, you've got to have ownership in yourself. Uh, I, I think you can't just look at the head coach and the staff to say it's their team. It has to be a collective group that understands that it's our team and we need to all have accountability in that and uh, take ownership to be successful. The other day said that he wanted to see fire still in your eyes. Do you still have the fire in your eyes? Fire in my eyes? Uh, if I'm on that football field between those white lines, there's lots of fire. Uh, I've been very, very blessed to have tunnel vision and focus and, and, and a drive to understand where I want to get and uh, be able to bring people alongside with me at the same time. Uh, do it on my own, but I mean, the one thing about this game, this is the most team-oriented game you'll ever play. Uh, having watched tennis 
some great tennis players this last uh, weekend and seeing how they're, they're all by themselves. They got their own nuances. You got to have guys to play with. So I'm excited with uh, the team that we have here and, and seeing what we can get to. In looking at one of your more notorious incidents when you were younger, um, you had an incident with Devin Smith when he was playing in Green Bay. You're now teammates. Mm -hmm. Uh, what was the aftermath of that? Was there ever an apology or any type of discussion? Uh, there's really no aftermath. Uh, I think that was in the past and will remain in the past. We've interacted with each other multiple times throughout. Uh, he was actually the second guy I, I got to speak to uh, when I got here today. So uh, I don't see any issues with it. Uh, I think people want to make it bigger than what it is. Uh, and Leave it at that. All right, so that was Ndamukong Su, and as I mentioned, uh, the Bucks have a mandatory minicamp on Tuesday. So here's what we're going to do uh, for tomorrow's podcast. If you get an opportunity to submit your questions, we really appreciate it. We're going to have a uh, very popular mailbag segment. This does not have to be restricted to Bucks questions, but we'll answer questions about the Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, uh, USF, uh, NBA Finals, <laughs> NHL Finals, anything you want to bring to the table is fair game. The Rowdies, I know a lot of people mentioned them as well. Um, so uh, we're willing to take any and all questions from you. Here's how you submit them. Uh, go to Twitter, at SportsDayTB is our Twitter address. You can submit the questions there. You can also reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'll be happy to use your name in uh, in some of these questions, so we'll make you make you famous there and, uh, and answer them 100% correctly and we'll do that uh, for tomorrow's podcast. So submit those questions uh, when you hear this podcast and have an opportunity to uh, take a minute. And uh, I know there's a, a lot to talk about, certainly with the Bucks and the Rays in particular. So we'll do that for tomorrow. All right, I hope you had a great weekend. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Monday, everybody. 